1: This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates.
0: Hello, this is Human Ordinary. I'm Sam Loy. Welcome to the show. Just a reminder that you can now subscribe to Human Ordinary at possible.com. Get ad-free episodes and merchandise for the cost of a can of sweet, delicious beer each month. Just head to possible.com and search for the show. So, this one time, many moons ago, when my body wasn't falling apart as it is now, I was playing my last season of football, although I don't think I knew that at the time. It was a team attached to my old high school, and for most of the two years I played there, we were all pretty content to just coast along, never dominating, even though we seemingly had the talent to do so. And, and just to clarify, we're talking Australian rules football here, not the round ball type or the bum-sniffing one. But anyway, in this one year, we just scraped into the finals, like a by-the-skin-of-our-teeth type scraping. No one gave us much of a chance. We didn't give ourselves much of a chance. Now, it's not necessary to have any knowledge of the great game of Australian football to understand the concept of a team performing well because every unit of that team does their bit. There's a common saying in football about not having any passengers. Every player needs to be helping the team To move forward. Up until the finals that year, that's what a lot of us weren't doing. There were too many egos, too many passengers, too many players out for themselves, me included. Then something shifted gears. It's not all that hard to understand, I guess. The strength of a thing is determined by the sum of its parts as well as how well those parts are stuck together. And for us, just at the right moment, we all decided to come together and play our role in achieving something we now all wanted. So no one gave us a chance going into that first final, but we won that. The same with the next final. Then on to the grand final, where no one gave us a chance going into that either. And we won that too. It's one of my fondest memories. We had achieved what we and others thought impossible. For that final series, we had no passengers. And it's a reminder of what a group of people can do when they have a unified goal and are all doing their bit to achieve that goal. In this week's story, Human Ordinary producer Cinnamon Nippard meets three people who aren't content with sitting idly by while there's work to be done.
1: I've been feeling anxious lately. It could be the constant news reports about our impending doom. It could be the rising number of extreme weather events around the world or the melting polar ice caps, usually paired with images of starving polar bears. It could be that our oceans are awash with plastic. I'm a
2: big surfer and there's garbage in every single corner of the coast.
1: According to a recent UN report, one million animal and plant species are at risk of extinction. Everything is about humans and animals are only there as
3: long as they're useful for us or cute or we like them, but as soon as they become a problem, we think we are entitled to just get rid of them.
1: Over the past hundred years, Australia has gotten hotter and drier. Vulnerable species, and yes, that includes us humans, can't deal with extreme heat. In the blazing heat, hundreds of
3: these flying foxes have perished, dropping from trees, unable to withstand the
4: heat wave. January was officially Australia's hottest month since records began more than a century ago, and there's no relief in sight from the sweltering conditions.
1: Before my alarm goes off, I dream about environmental disasters, sometimes with the occasional zombie thrown in. But I know that not everyone feels the same panic. Are there blinkers on? Are they just protecting their fossil-fuelled livelihoods? And then I remember, I benefit from this system. I drive a car, I love my gas heater, and yet I feel like I need to do something, but I'm not sure what. Well, there are people doing what they can, and today I meet three of them, and they're making a difference in their corner of the world. One of them is Michael Mobs, also known as the off-grid guy. He made his house sustainable in the mid-1990s in his terrace in the inner-city suburb of Chippendale.
5: The yellow panels on the two north-facing roofs are generating electricity. When I did this in 1996, no-one had done it in the centre of a city before, so everything is weird, or was then. And then these blue lines here show the rainwater and how it's harvested from the roof. So kids can come here and understand how the house is connected to the rain and the wind and the sun and the energy that the earth gives us for free. After working for
1: two decades as an environmental lawyer, Michael made his house sustainable in 1996. It was even featured in a pivotal 1998 Sydney Powerhouse Museum exhibition called Ecologic – that explored how people could make their own homes sustainable. And the Perspex model of his home is still there 23 years since he went off-grid.
4: Talk, talk, talk. Everyone talks about saving energy, but talk's cheap. And energy is getting expensive.
5: It sounds as though we're in a Star Wars moment, but it's actually a Star Wars of the city because what this is is science fiction to a lot of people, but it's actually I'm only doing in this house what farmers do every day in the country. Over 2 million Australians drink rainwater every day. No one has died drinking rainwater in a couple of hundred years of history. But anyway, back to the house, and it goes into a tank, a blue tank buried in the garden, and there's a wetland in the, in the back. And then there's different coloured pipes showing in green the sewage coming down and going into another tank beside the rainwater tank. So you you can see also that when that tank is too full, it overflows to the wetland.
1: I've lived in apartments and houses across Sydney and I've never lived in or next door to a place like this. Michael's right. Farmers do this all the time. But it's unusual in the city.
5: In the 22 years that I've been there on this site that's 5 metres wide and 30 metres long, In other words, a total site area of 150 square metres, a small terrace site with a garden of about 15 square metres. Over 2 million litres of sewage has been kept on this site and hasn't left, and over 2 million litres of rainwater. So it's a really weird thing. In the catchment, the Blackwattle Bay catchment in inner Sydney, where um, I'm situated, over 156 million litres of rainwater falls each year. Each year, about 56 million litres of water is imported from thousands of kilometres of pipes to provide water, so three times as much water falls as rain in this catchment and is wasted than is imported by pipes. If you wanted to say, how would you do something really badly, that's what you'd say. Keep the rainwater in mind, because we'll
1: come back to it. But first, let's find out if setting up a sustainable house is expensive.
5: It cost me um, $48,000 to do this in '96, but it was my first time. It changed my life, the house. I started doing this for a living and designing sustainable projects.
1: The costs have gone down a little since then. Michael says today it would cost twenty dollars to $30,000, saving up to $4,000 a year
5: for a four-person household. And prices are still coming down. Let me give an example. My solar panels in 1996 cost $26,000. Now the same size system costs about $1,500. The biggest drop in price has been in solar panels. The rain tanks and recycled sewage systems are about the same cost. But as um, government rules change and people are required to put in rainwater tanks and other energy and water efficient appliances, those costs are coming down too. So when I bought an energy efficient fridge, I paid about $1800. Now you get the same energy efficient fridge without an additional cost because it's mandated. What happened is the government introduced rules requiring minimum levels of efficiency in taps, showers, um, fridges, dishwashers and a whole range of things. And over time they've increased the minimum efficiency requirements and that means that all products on the market have to meet those minimum efficiency requirements.
1: Which means government regulations do make a difference. When Michael became one of the most visible proponents of sustainable houses, he turned that into action. Not only did he have tens of thousands of people, many from overseas, visiting his home, he also started teaching people how to save money on their water and energy bills by choosing sustainable options. One of the biggest issues in Sydney is heat, and it's not just due to the unrelenting sun. In fact, some design decisions make our cities hotter.
5: As I talk to you, I see dark surfaces... As I walked here, I saw black roads. About a third of our cities is covered by black roads, no trees. So what we do when we cut down the trees and build black roads, we increase the heat of the cities, but also the way they hold the heat. And what happens is that drives up the heat of the internal spaces where we live and work and drives up the energy use to keep the internal spaces cool. So now... It looks as though we've got to recool our cities to actually reduce the amount of energy we're using. Last summer, Penrith, a
1: suburb in Sydney's west, reached a record-breaking 47.3 degrees Celsius. That's over 117 degrees Fahrenheit it was the hottest day in 80 years. And that means more air conditioners, more fans and fridges have to work harder
5: too. So what happens in Western Sydney is because there's so many trees being taken away and because there are so many more black roads and so many new freeways, the temperature of Western Sydney has been increased because of the type of design by 2 to 3 degrees generally and in some, some days, 6 to 8 to 10 to 12 degrees. The black roads hold the heat and re-radiate it at night. And that gets people um, hotter during the night. And the most um, deaths in Australia of young people and old people are during those heat waves. If you've ever rested under a shady
1: tree on a hot day, you wouldn't be surprised that trees, parks and urban greenery help mitigate heat in urban areas. The only problem is, as Sydney has grown, more and more trees have been cleared to build more houses. Now, we do need housing, but let's steer clear of that debate for today because it's a tricky one. But, of course, we also need green spaces. So it can only be a good thing that the New South Wales government intends to plant 5 million trees by 2030 right across the
5: Sydney region. So what I'm trying to work out is how are the many affordable, simple, cheap ways to keep rainwater where it falls, to feed the trees, to grow the trees, to make them function as really helpful air conditioners.
1: Instead of funnelling rainwater into gutters, stormwater drains and out to sea, Michael set up a gardening group in his local community and created what he calls leaky drains to feed the trees.
5: We are keeping over 4 million litres of rainwater where it falls for a one-off cost of $300.
1: But back to the problem of land clearing. The World Wide Fund for Nature says that by 2030, there's that number again, 3 million hectares of eastern Australian untouched forest will be getting the chop, bulldozed to make way for farming. And more than just trees are at stake. Habitat loss is to blame for 75% of Australia's threatened plant and animal species. And what about the koalas? At this stage, like we only have like less than 50,000 left in the wild in New South Wales. And they only live on the East Coast. People are not aware of that either. Daniela Oziander is a massage therapist, naturopath and conservationist. She says the main reason we're losing koalas is loss of habitat due to land clearing. Deforestation
3: in New South Wales has gone up by 800%. Koalas are what we call an umbrella species. So wherever we protect koalas... Because of the habitat that they live in, if we protect that, we protect a whole big habitat, the Australian bush really, um, with all the species of plants and
1: animals that live in that habitat. Koalas are an Australian icon. They feature in everything from kids books to chocolate and of course every single tourist photo ever and the prospect of them dying out is unfathomable. Earlier this year, 300 scientists called on Australian governments to protect native vegetation from broad-scale land clearing in order to protect our unique biodiversity for future generations. And the thing is, you don't have to stand in front of a bulldozer to make your voice heard. I keep reading about this endangered species, the black-throated finch. It's a tiny bird with, wait for it, Black feathers on its throat, whose habitat is in the Galilee Basin, a hotspot for coal mining companies, specifically Adani. The plan is to move these birds to another location, away from the proposed mine, away from the bird's actual home. Clearly, I'm no expert, but it does seem a bit ridiculous. I mean, they're birds. Inspired by Daniela's example, I called and emailed the Queensland Premier's office. Even though I got an automated response and it feels like a drop in the ocean, there's also a teeny tiny sense of achievement. I can't wait for other
3: people to do that work or wake up to it. I mean, I just don't feel good sitting on my bum watching TV. I've really made a conscious decision, so this is going to be the focus of
1: my life now, conservation work. After the break, we'll hear more from Daniela.
4: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by Indochino. And this promo for Indochino is a true story. Indochino make made-to-measure menswear, shirts and suits tailored to your exact measurements, for maximum fit and comfort. And because they're a great bunch of people, they gave me a free shirt. So I log onto their website, Indochino.com, and pick out a trendy-looking button-up shirt. And with most clothing websites, that would have been the end of it, but not with Indochino. I got to customise the collar, the cuffs, the buttons on the collar and cuffs, the lining, whether it was a casual or formal fit, whether it had a pocket or not, and, most impressively, I could add a monogram. I didn't but it's awesome the option is there. Then came the fitting. Now, I don't have much idea about what my measurements are, but Indochino takes you through the process with simple-to-follow videos that you and your partner or friend can work through. Once those measurements are entered, they're on the site for good, ready to be used for any purchase you make in the future. So not only am I getting a shirt customized to my preferences, but it's also going to fit perfectly. And this week, you can get any premium Indochino suit for just 569 Australian dollar bucks at Indochino.com when you enter the code HUMAN. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com and promo code HUMAN for any premium suit for just $569 with free shipping. That's a premium deal for a premium suit.
1: Daniela has always had a soft spot for animals. In fact, she used to make animal documentaries for a German TV station. And when she came to Australia, she started volunteering for WIRES, an organisation that rescues and rehabilitates native animals. If you're driving along a country highway at dusk and you hit a kangaroo, which unfortunately happens quite a lot, then you call WIRES. It's a big country and a big job, so they have over 2,500 volunteers and last year received more than 80,000 requests for rescue assistance. And Daniela loves it. Since she started doing this, she's cared for hundreds of animals, baby possums, flying foxes and all kinds of birds, all from her home in inner city Sydney. She shows me upstairs to the three young fig birds she's caring for.
3: This is my the ensuite, suite, so it's, it's actually room-sized. It was a room that doesn't actually have any outside windows, so we turned it into a bathroom. But um, because of it mainly being tiled and, and quite nice size and also not really any windows to fly into, this is the perfect free-flight aviary. They're here, in here for maybe a week before they get released, just so they get a little bit more practice and they can get in a cage Flying around and landing properly.
1: And so you've, you've propped up branches at different places <laughs> around the room and they're kind of perched above the shower head? Correct. Daniela has been caring for the young fig birds for around three months. They're almost ready to be released. But first, they have to pass a few tests. Basically, they have to be able to rip figs apart. Also, I
3: put small figs or they also get fed peas, corns and carrots. Um put that in a pine cone and I want to see that they can pick that off the pine cone and handle it and manipulate it in their beak without dropping it. Those are all little kind of like things they
1: have to pass. And here is where I stop to reiterate. This is a classic terrace house in inner city Sydney and the last thing you'd expect to find is a dingo. Yes, Daniela doesn't just have birds in her bathroom, there are also two dingoes in her living room.
3: Ah, oh, the joy of having dingoes. He found that, picked that up, dynamic lifter, and spread it all around the living room. <laughs> and that stinks nicely, that stuff, so he's going to have a good roll in it too.
1: The garden fertiliser made from blood and bone is super stinky. I help Daniela clean it up from the rug as she shoes Jarrah away. Dingoes are wild dogs native to Australia. They're our unique apex predator. It's illegal to own them in some states, and in others you need a permit, but oddly enough, not here in New South Wales. Even so, it's surprising to see one. You might have a beagle or a labrador, but dingoes are not usually a pet. There is Jera, he's
3: about three and a half, probably, roughly. And then there's Nala, who we think is probably about 12. Nice, ripe old age, and they're gorgeous.
1: The dingoes are quite shy at first, so I stand still. Scary microphone, <laughs> dingo backing away. Yeah, come here. Nala looks like a stockier version of the classic Central Australian lean ginger dingo, but Jara has a different colour scheme. We have two Victorian
3: dingoes. They look probably slightly different than people expect. Um, ours both have an undercoat, so a bit fluffier probably than what you expect, and one of them is black and tan, which also people are not aware of is a classic dingo colour. They've come in the... Ginger that everyone knows, the black and tan, and in a creamy white.
1: Those are all standard dingo colours. These dingoes were also rescued, but not by wires. After a chance meeting in the dog park with the guy who runs Sydney Dingo Rescue, Daniela decided to open her home to two of Australia's native dogs. They're not family dogs, as in, like, you know, they need a little bit of a pack structure,
3: a good routine. A firm hand, and with that I don't mean punishing them or anything. Other. We obviously work with positive reinforcement. But,
1: yeah, they, they do need an experienced dog handler, I would say. Daniela says that dingoes do not aim to please. Their loyalty comes through respect, not obedience. She also says they have incredible problem-solving skills, which can make them hard to contain. Apparently they're pretty good at opening sliding doors. In addition to caring for animals at home, Daniela also volunteers at Sydney's Taronga Zoo as an animal observer. It is a very inspiring place to
3: work with the people that actually really do care about conservation and animals and that, for me, is a relief. It's almost like going on a holiday to be surrounded by people that care about the same things that I do, whereas living in the normal world, and in inverted commas, is, is incredibly stressful for me sometimes in that apathy.
1: So maybe you're listening to this story and thinking, there's no way I'm taking care of wild animals, and I don't have the money to make my house or apartment sustainable. But there is something every single one of us can do, and it's super simple.
2: It's a good glow that you you feel when you've picked up some rubbish and you've left somewhere cleaner than when you found it. And, like, isn't that what we're all searching for, It's just stuff to improve our mental health? As far as, like, a, an activity to improve your mental health, this is a really, really good one.
1: That's Roland Davies, or Lucky Roland. Until recently, he ran a cafe, and he loves to surf. We meet down at Balmoral Beach, where he takes me through his latest project.
2: Found that even down the end of four-wheel drive tracks that very few human beings get to the end of, relatively speaking, there's just there's garbage in every single corner of, of the coast. And so I'd be coming to and from a lot of the same places and finding them dirty, doing my best to fill up these bags and take them away with me, and then I'd come back and there'd be a whole fresh amount of rubbish there.
1: There's just so much rubbish, and it's everywhere. Roland knows he can't cover the whole of Australia, but he hopes he can make a dent in this problem at a place called Stockton, a couple of hours' drive north of Sydney.
2: Stockton's just north of Newcastle, and then it's a 35 kilometre dune system which goes all the way up to Anna Bay. And it's roughly, I'd say, like 800 metres wide. So it's a massive dune system. So for me, it was like a really obvious place to go straight back to and just see okay, how much rubbish can one person pick up from a place like this?
1: Well, how much can you? Roland says he picked up about 100 kilos in two days.
2: I got a bunch of old coffee sacks from my old coffee roaster um, and roughly they're about 25 kilos each and filled up four of them really quickly and realised there's a hell of a lot more to do. Um, and so since went back and I think I've probably spent maybe 10 full days in the dunes just picking up rubbish and I'm at about 600 and something kilos so far. Um, scratching the surface though, there's so much
1: left. Uh, here's something gross band-aid yum not touching that and uh that that's where this uh tool the picker opera comes in handy
2: big time the picker opera um i also have gloves that i wear when i'm doing it yeah you can't be too careful there's a lot of syringes out there as well so it's it's always worth wearing shoes and just making sure that you're not you know jeopardizing your own health
1: Roland takes three reusable bags in three different colours to sort the rubbish into three categories, recyclables, compost and landfill. But some of the stuff he finds is pretty challenging to categorise. I found a
2: toilet seat in Stockton Dunes just sitting by itself and that was it. There's a lot of bongs. I found a little army man. I found pregnancy tests. I found heaps of pieces of cars stuff that you just don't expect to end up there, like you wonder, like, did someone bring this in here or did it just wash up on the beach from somewhere else? Like like hardcore cleaning chemicals, for example, and you're like, why is someone bringing that out here? Maybe they're not bringing it out here, but it's distressing to pick up.
1: Picking up rubbish is hardly a revolutionary idea, and there are a bunch of organisations in this important space, like Take Three for the Sea and Responsible Runners and, of course, the annual Clean Up Australia Day. But is it making a dint? Maybe it does take a Roland or individual action to really make a difference. I mean, his is a one-man clean-up of Stockton Beach, but if we all took on a spot, who knows what could happen? Roland says he wants to pick up an actual tonne of rubbish, and I know he wants to grow this beyond him and beyond this beach.
2: So the plan is to get to a tonne, which will be roughly 40 of these sacks and as a visual it's quite I'm hoping that'll be quite impactful because at 600 kilos it's already quite a big pile. Um, so if I can get a ton of it together and then I'd basically broadcast that as hey this is there's all this rubbish here in the one place that I've collected. Um, can someone come and help me now?
1: As Lucky Roland points out it's the trickle down effect of inaction that has many people stuck.
2: It's almost like a halfway between fight or flight is freeze. And everyone's frozen right now. Everyone's looking around going, Oh God, I don't know what to do because it's so massive. But literally the only thing that you, you can do to make the situation worse is do nothing. So you just start, you just start small. You just start with what you can do, what's in your life, like little, really easy, simple, repeatable steps. And then it just grows. And once you start turning one stone over, you just can't stop turning them over and eventually this whole philosophy just starts to consume your behaviour in a really positive way.
1: If 15-year-old Swedish school student Greta Thunberg can start a movement, there's still definitely some hope. What doesn't stop amazing me since I've started this journey is how much you can
3: actually get done as one single person.
2: If you've got lungs and a heart and eyes, and you're a human and you're on Team Human, so help out.
1: After talking to Roland, Daniela and Michael, I realised that there's no excuse to hide under the doona anymore. I know that doing something means more than taking my keep cup with me to the cafe. I know it's going to take structural change on so many levels. But in the meantime, there are lots of little steps each of us can take.
2: It all adds up. You've just got to decide which side of the coin you want to be on, whether you're doing positive things that are going to make the world a better place and be faithful that that will add up in a positive way or whether you just think, no, it's someone else's problem and contribute to the negative, well then that's going to add up as well.
1: Thanks to Michael Mobbs, Roland Davies, Daniela Oziander and the Dingoes for their time. This episode of Human Ordinary was produced by me, Cinnamon Nippard. Thanks to Kent Sutherland for the original music, and thanks to Sam Loy, Fenella Kernabone, Mick Cavazzini and Mae Jasper for their good editorial advice. Head to humanordinary.com for pics of dingoes and for more info on this and other episodes.
0: That was Cinnamon Nippard. Cinnamon has a stack of work under her belt, And if you're keen to hear more from her, you can either wait until her next human ordinary story, which is about eight weeks away, or you can punch her name into your closest Google machine and go from there. Before we sign off, I wanted to introduce you to a podcast, which is one of my faves. It's called About Face.
4: Hi, I'm Kate Lismer, host and creator of the podcast About Face. About 10 years ago, I was traveling around the world alone. I had just called off my wedding and I wanted to do something really big to start over. Five years before that, I was working at a law firm as an attorney in Manhattan. Five years before that, I was handcuffed in a holding cell somewhere outside of Seattle. I still have a copy of the mugshot. Today, I'm sober. I'm an expat with two children. We live a couple of blocks from what used to be the Berlin Wall. Do you remember the exact moment that set you on a path to becoming someone else? This is a podcast about those times, the decisions, the switchback turns of our lives, the external forces that will us towards change. It's about where we've been and where we're going. It's about the times in our lives that have dramatically shifted us towards a new direction. It's about who we were and who we are now. In Season 2, we've delivered intimate stories about death and loss, Divorce, illness and disease, birth, choices, regrets, unearthed truths, all of those big things that make us into someone else. Or perhaps just bring us closer to who we really are. Subscribe to About Face on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And your life is a light I really recommend About Face. It's personal, it's interesting. And above all, it deals in the experiences that define and shape the lives of real people. If you like Human Ordinary, if you like strangers, you're going to love About Face. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Sam Lloyd, Cinnamon Nippard, May Jasper and Mick Cavazzini. Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at ACAST. Our artwork is by Virgil Quigley and our theme music is by The Contortionist Handbook. Score a free T-shirt and ad-free episodes by subscribing to humanordinary at possible.com. For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening.
1: This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.